what what is missions? Because we, we, if we're going to be talking about it, maybe we need to have have an understanding of it. So if if I hear the word missions, just humanly thinking and speaking, the two phrases that come to my mind are missionaries and mission trips. Like I, that's just what pops into my mind: missionaries and mission trips. Um, you might you might think the Great Commission. Um, but I do want to make a distinction, kind of, between what we say of missions and Great Commission. And the reason why is because the Great Commission um, can be done at home or in the jungles of South America, right? The Great Commission, go and make disciples, in its simplest form, that's the Great Commission. But we have to understand that Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. And so there is an aspect of the Great Commission that is mission-focused, mission-minded. Uh, typically, we think of the Great Commission here, we see it not in, in an evangelistic going and speaking the gospel while building up and edifying, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. When really, it is all the same thing. Doing missions is the Great Commission, and doing church and discipleship and evangelism is the Great Commission. It's going and, and, and making disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Um, but I do want to make, as we think about missionary and mission trips, specifically mission trips, if you're like me and you grew well, most kids that grow up in the church from the 70s na until now— were probably in a youth group and probably went on mission trips, and those mission trips probably actually had nothing to do with the gospel. So when, I, when I'm talking about mission, I want to make sure that we're actually talking about taking the gospel somewhere where it's one of two things. Not known, like literally, they've never heard it. There are people groups who have never heard the name Jesus. Okay, it's not known there, um, but you can also do missions and take the gospel to nations, people groups who have heard or have know know the gospel or know Jesus, but they don't. No one believes it. So imagine uh, that group we 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 prayed for Sunday. Nahi, Naya, people of Nepal. They're all Hindu. They're all they're all educated. They they've heard. They know, right? So, but they don't believe. None of them, 0.0% believe. So they're still an unreached people group, even though they might know have heard of the name of Jesus, or the many Muslim uh, countries, nations, people groups across the world. They're unreached, even though they even though their own uh, scriptures use the name Jesus in it. Right, they're, they know, but they they're still unreached. They don't believe. So when we talk about missions, that's what I'm talking about: taking the gospel to groups, to places, to people where it's either unknown or not believed. Um, that so we we want to understand missions, um, but we're also wanting to understand it as a church and ask ask these kind of questions. Should it matter to us, uh, the idea of missions? 
I could you might hear me say global missions, sort of kind of distinction distinguishing between local evangelism and global missions or going to the unreached people groups. Um, should that matter to us? If so, why? Why would it matter? Like these are the kind of questions you should always ask when you're thinking about your faith and what you're doing. When you ask the question, why should I or why does it matter? If you ask that question and then go try to find the answer in the Bible, you usually end up pretty blessed because of it. But you have to go ask the right question and then – well, the right question might be why. right? And then if you actually go into the scriptures and seek for the answer, you're going to get – you're going to be blessed by that questioning and then seeking. right? Um, knock and I will open. Uh, and so forth. So, and then also we might be helping to answer the question, not only does it matter to us, if it does, why? And if it does, is there a way that it needs to be done? Um, and again, if you've kept up, we're in the, we're at the end of this series about the glory of God in the church and so if you recall back all the way back to the beginning of that series, we realized or understood that God has revealed his glory to the church, not for them to just keep it and hold on to it, but to then for them to go and display it so that others would know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we're, at, we're, we're, we're thinking about it as our calling, as our purpose. Um, and I, okay, and I'll just tell you, I've come to the conclusion, as you would assume, that missions does matter to us as Oz at Ozark Bible Church in Fulton County. It does matter. We should participate in it. We should be involved in the gospel going forth everywhere, not just here or in our homes. But everywhere, um, because that's why he's brought us together. That's why he's brought us. Together. That's why he's made this church. He's made this body of believers. Right. We have to think of it that way. Um, so I would uh, then argue based off of that, if we neglect that, I I truly believe we'd be falling short of. Our calling, well, we'd be disobedient. That might be a better word. We'd be disobedient. Um, and then, so I, again, I asked myself, okay, if we if we fall short in that and we're disobedient in that, then and we we don't have interest in missions in the gospel going to the ends of the earth. We might need to ask the question, why? Why would we not have an interest in that? Why would we not be um, excited about the spread of the gospel across the world? Or why would we not be heartbroken that it hasn't made it to every people group in the world yet? And I could only think of two reasons. Um, it's a problem of your affections for Christ and for people which says something about your heart or collectively our hearts 
Uh, or, and I think this is perhaps the better case, heart problems are always bad. Because heart problems tend to reveal, well, men, the, the truth, what's going on inside, as we saw Tuesday. But the other problem might be the mind. And I mean this in this this nicest way. It'd be a problem of ignorance, right? That you 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 don't know your calling as the church. You don't know the truth of the Great Commission. You don't know what we're going to look at tonight. God's mission, God's purpose and plan. So both of those things, both of those problems, are healed by what? Heart problems. And mind problems when it comes to things like this. Say it louder. The scriptures, the truth, the word of God, right? So guess what we're going to read tonight? Um, well, on every every Wednesday night. Um, so let's go. Let's 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 do this. So if you look at your paper. Um, you see at the top uh, God's mission. God's mission. Here's again another study note, another Bible study note. As you consider any doctrine, any topic, any theme in Scripture, the only way to truly know what God intends is to start with Him. Okay? Um, let me give you an example. If you want to study the doctrine of um, man, the doctrine of man, you have to start with understanding who God is. Like you can't. Uh, I think I think it was in I think Calvin in his Institutes begins his whole book by saying, for us to understand ourselves we must first understand God and I I'm convinced that that's anything in the scriptures if you truly want to understand anything within the scriptures it you have to start with God um, and that's what that's what we're going to do he's he's the beginning of all things in him through him and for him are all things right um, take let's just take for example the Great Commission. Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission actually starts one verse before. All authority have been given to me on heaven in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. See the therefore is connecting to the beginning of the declaration. Jesus says, All authority is on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, now that I've told you that, now that you know that, go and make disciples of all the nations. So we could just take the last half and be gung-ho about making disciples of all the nations and really run into some problems if we aren't studying what all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Right? That That's sort of looking at the God perspective and then re- relaying that and ta- tackling our calling and, and command after we know more about the Lord. Um, 
So, you're still in Ephesians 1, verse 7. We're going we're gonna to read these three ver- four verses, and if you're, if you're like me and willing to admit it, verse 10 has always been a bit of a, a bugaboo for me. Um, and so I, I, I hope that after tonight you will understand verse 10 better than when you, when you got here. Because I know after studying it, I, I, am, I feel like I've got a better grasp on it. So I hope that I can help you all with that tonight. And you'll see as we get there. Verse, verse 7. Verse 7. In him, that would be in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, of his will, according to his purpose. Those are big words, will and purpose, God's will and purpose. And this will and purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, and here's the part that's always I've always had trying to figure out, to unite all things in him, that would be all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. So we're not going to talk about that yet, but we're going to build our way into this, specifically this, this last verse. Keeping in, keeping in our mind that we saw... Uh, The gospel in verse 7, the redemption through his blood. In verse 8, we see the making known, God making known his will, which was mysterious up until this time that Paul wrote. It's been a mystery. And this is all coming out according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And that purpose and plan has come forth at this moment in time that Christ came to the world in order to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what is God's mission? If we're to be on mission, what is God's mission? Can you guess where we're going to go? Genesis 1. Genesis 1. So if you look at the heading of your paper, it says, don't forget OT. Don't forget the Old Testament. We New Christian, New Christian, we New Testament Christians have a tendency to have uh, our hindsight only goes as far as the, uh, the incarnation. Right? We don't like, we, not that we don't like. We just think a lot in terms of post-crucifixion, New right? New covenant. That's just that's just what because it's so glorious. And he, the writer of Hebrews, Paul, even says, "Sorry, did that slip?" Says, um, "It's better." So of course we're stuck in it, you know, in our minds. But we cannot forget about the Old Testament. We have to think whole Bible. Um, and if we're only thinking post-Christ, New Testament, 
when we're studying, we're only half informed. We're only half informed. Well, maybe more than half. But we don't get the whole picture. You, 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 you catch me? Um, and all, all study, all doctrine has to be has to have a footing in its in the Old Testament. Um, you, you can't fully grasp what's going on in the new without understanding how it's related, connected, or built upon in the old. So as we go to Genesis one, your first subheading in point one is creation. So we're gonna see God's mission in creation, in covenants, and in the prophets, okay? Let's start with creation and go in Genesis 1, 28. Remember, what is God's mission? Or you could say, what is God doing? What is God doing with time, space, history, the gospel, the church? What is he doing? It begins in Genesis 1, verse 28. So he's created everything at this point, even man. We see God uh, in verse 27. He created both male and female in his image. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so... God's creatures are commanded, mainly man, not all creatures, but man, is ordered to subdue all of creation and have dominion over it. Subdue means, in its most basic form, to take or to conquer or to take by conquering. Um, it's not used a lot in the Old Testament, but one one phrase I, I saw or one spot I saw is that it talked about how David had subdued uh, treasures or, or gold from other nations and had brought it back to Israel. So he had he had captured it. He had taken it. He claimed it. Right. So God tells Adam and Eve, go forth. Uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. It's not. It's, it, it never was. It never was. I've made you. Ooh, I'm running out of battery. Um, <laughs> I've got it on my phone just in case. Um, it never was. You're gonna stay in this little garden. It was fill the earth, subdue it, take it, take control over it. And then have take dominion over it. That word should flash in your mind to what we've been talking about on, on Sunday mornings in Matthew about kingdoms and rulers and reigns, right? It is a phrase, a word that is speaking about ruling or reigning as in a kingdom. Take and rule. Now, are they ruling as kings and queens? No, they're ruling as what... In a similar way that Joseph ruled Egypt. How did Joseph rule Egypt? As the number two. Right? He was given... He was given 
basically authority over all of Egypt by Pharaoh. Same thing for Adam and Eve, by God. So they were, uh, I think the phrase is vice regent, or you could think of it as um, second in command. So that's their calling. It's almost as if God says, go and build my kingdom on this creation, on this rock, on this earth. So we start. We see this this reigning, this ruling of God through his his uh, his crowning creature, man. But then we have the fall, right? We have the fall. Uh, Satan deceives Eve. Adam is found. Uh, Adam is found. Guilty of disobedience, eats as he was not supposed to. But there's one thing I want to point out. Um, one thing I'll go look at Genesis 3, and I'm not sure what to do with this right now, but I just wanted to put it in front of you. Actually, I do know, I do know what I want to do with this. When we're thinking about what God is doing, what God's mission is, with his creation, we tend to think God is working to overcome something totally outside of his. Man, this is a tough, way, tough thing to say. Okay, imagine this. Imagine you leave your house and you come home. And you had locked the doors, you have a super duper alarm system, and you come home and there are people living in your house. Squatters. And you you didn't give them permission, you didn't leave the door open, you didn't even have a key under the rock that they could get. Right? They have come in and taken of their own without your without your knowledge, without your regard at all. That's not that's not an analogy for what happened with creation. This is weird. Look at look at Genesis three. We always think that okay, it was like God turned his back to the creation. Satan came, spoiled it all. Now God's got to fix it all. But it's not exactly that. It's really hard to put into words. But I'm just gonna read it and then maybe say a phrase and we'll think about it. Look at verse 14. So the the tree or the fruit's been eaten. God has found them, called them out on it. And now he speaks to the serpent, then the woman, and then to the man. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock. And then verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. So who cursed who in verse 14? God cursed the serpent. Okay? God cursed the serpent. Go to verse 18. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You desire, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
Who cursed Eve? God. Verse 17. And he said to Adam, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree you shall not, or of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Who cursed the ground? God. And in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles and shall bring forth you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, and so on and so forth. We, we might have a tendency to think that mankind is cursed because Satan cursed us. Because that's what we, th- when we think about curses, we think of evil witches putting spells on people. But what is the opposite of cursed in the scriptures? Blessed. And if you're familiar, we get when we get to we're not going to get there today. But when we get to when we get to Deuteronomy, or yeah, and God lays before Israel what blessings or curses. So we get to how to how does this help us? This helps us knowing that God is in complete control of the whole situation. And the mission isn't let's go and invade the squatters. The mission is this is what I'm doing from beginning to end. Think about it. Ephesians 1, a plan for the fullness of time. And if you start in Ephesians 3, you understand that God's mind and operation, his plan began before the foundation of the world. And then Satan comes along. Take Job or Peter. How, how, Job, or how Satan wreaks havoc over Job. But he needed God's permission first. And what about Peter? Jesus tells Peter... Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. You know that, right? Satan had to ask permission to sift Peter, to trouble Peter. So that's the best news that we can have tonight. That the mission isn't let's let's God's going in to over overtake something. God's mission is just simply God's purpose. I hope you can understand the difference. Usually in our minds. In our minds, we think mission, there's someone that we have to make sure that we can overpower because they've done something that we didn't want them to do. We've got to understand in the infinite wisdom mind of God, you can't comprehend infinity. Therefore, you can't comprehend infinite wisdom and knowledge. But in that, He's had a plan for all time and history. Let me just don't chase don't chase after me here. Let me just read this so we can kind of keep it in our mind here. Making known to us 
the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It was made known in the setting forth of Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Okay, we can take heart in knowing that the mission of God is really just his plan that is being fulfilled and worked out. That is good news for us. That is great news for us. And it began in the garden. It began before the garden began. Okay? So, that's God's mission seen in creation. Now, we uh, quickly, um, it can be seen in God's covenants. God's covenants. Shout out a covenant God made. Use names, people's names. Abrahamic covenant. Abrahamic covenant, right? God, the covenant God made with Abraham. Name another one. Uh, the Davidic covenant, the covenant God made with David. We'll just stop there. All right. This, in both of those, because both of th- those are good illustrations. In both of those, you see a taste of what God is after what God is accomplishing, what his purpose is, what his mission is. Go with me to Genesis 22. We're just going to look at one, and that's the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 22. Now, we have to, as we as we go forward we're building upon what we just heard we just heard we just we just got uh, God telling Adam and Eve to go and 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 build his kingdom right subdue and and rule well we had the fall then we get the Abrahamic covenant verse verse 17. Did I tell you chapter 22? Yeah. Verse 17. I will surely bless you. Now that's a very interesting word. As opposed to what? Curse. Curse. So it's almost as if even in that he's doing something. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply. Okay, there's the multiplication again. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as sand that is on the seashore. How much is that? That's a lot. It's almost like he's trying to fill the earth. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. Okay. Well, we've one thing I forgot to mention. After after the fall, after God had given Adam and Eve a command to, to basically go and build their king build his kingdom, what happened after the fall? People started building their own kingdoms. Right? Not just that, but then we see what we've seen in Matthew that all of these kingdoms that are being built in the name of man find themselves under the, 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 the larger kingdom of Satan. Enemy. Of, of the enemy, um, the offspring of the offspring of Satan. Verse 18, 
And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It's as if he's looking to overturn the curse. And not just with Abraham. And not just simply with the physical offspring of Abraham. But all the nations. Now... Just and and just so we know, how would that be communicated in the Davidic covenant? We talked about that I think last Sunday. That the son of David would rule a kingdom that will have no end, right? But just for the sake of seeing this flush flushed out in in the New Testament, look at Galatians chapter three. This is really cool. We will be going back to the Old Testament after this. Uh, Galatians 3, verse 7. So we're going to see talk of the promise that was made in, in Genesis 22, and then also see how it's going to be fulfilled. Key word, offspring. Verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. You remember a couple Sundays ago, maybe more than that, a few Sundays ago, we defined the word Gentile, the nations outside of Israel, right? We're told that Genesis, or in Genesis, we just read that God's going to bless the nations through the offspring of Abraham. That would be the Gentiles, the rest of the world. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Here's the cool thing about that. If you read Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations rage against me and my anointed? But yet... Through the offspring of Abraham, he's actually going to justify, to which is to make innocent before him, to declare them righteous. He's going to do that. They're going to they're going to be justified by faith. And he said that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. God preached the good news to Abraham in Genesis 22, saying. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Go down to verse 13. You know how... Well, I won't say it. Let's just read it. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming... A curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The promised spirit through faith being the promise of the new covenant. That's pretty awesome to see how Paul reaches back to this promise and says, 
Ha. He's done it through the offspring that is Christ. Now, go to Isaiah. The next subheading in the Old Testament is the prophets. Uh, just a f- and I, I, I've touched on this one and in Daniel multiple times as we've gone through Matthew, these few chapters in Matthew recently. Uh, so Isaiah in chapter 9, that, that's a very familiar Christmas passage, right? Isaiah 9, what is it, verse 6? There's one thing we might not quite comprehend when we read this. Isaiah 9. So it starts in 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. There goes my computer. Prince of Peace, of the increase, this 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. So you think back to Adam. God said, fill the earth, subdue it, take dominion and rule over it. He failed. And a child was born. And the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. One was born who will do what Adam could not do. And that's to subdue and rule over. All of creation. Daniel 7, excuse me, Daniel 2. Go to Daniel 2. So what we see in the prophets is they take all the promises and the covenants, all the promises that are in the covenants, and they like start to mix them up. And that's what we call prophecy. They're speaking... They're speaking into the future about these promises that are co- that have been declared in these covenants. So in Daniel 2, And in those in the days of those kings, the, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So, as we see God wanting to, he's cursed the world. But we see that he is going to overturn the curse through the offspring of Abraham, through the son of David, 
as he's doing this simultaneously, and I don't mean it side by side, but I mean it's the same thing. He's establishing a kingdom, which was what he was doing in the beginning, right? So this is sort of the hint to what you have to see. What is God doing? He's establishing his rule and reign. When we say the word kingdom, we ha- I have a hard time thinking, I think of walls, right? Territory, a piece of land. Well, the reality is, is that the earth is his and the fullness thereof, right? It's The land is his. But when we think, when the Bible talks about kingdom, it's specifically referring to reign and power, rule, right? Not just having a territory, but ruling and reigning it like he told Adam and Eve to do, okay? So we have to have that in our mind. It's still, it's sort of an abstract thing, so even it's still difficult for me. Um, So let me tie some of this together and just think about some things in the New Testament very quickly. What do you think? We know the Lord's Prayer, right? I want you to hear it slowly. Our Father, who art in heaven, where is he? He's in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stop there. There's God's mission. He's, that's a prayer for the kingdom of God to rule and reign on earth. That power, that rule, that reign, that authority to be upon earth as it sits in heaven now. Does that make sense? Your kingdom, your kingdom not, not a plot of land fall down. But your rule and reign come on earth as it is in heaven. This is what he's doing. That's why we pray that prayer. Now go back. Now Now just go back to Ephesians 1 and let's read this section again. I'll, I'll be honest. When I read, when I used to read Ephesians 1 and get to verse 10... And I'm like, I don't understand. Is he uniting the, the, the birds and the people, heaven and earth? Like, what is he doing? What is he uniting? Why why, why heaven and earth? Well, I, hopefully the Lord's Prayer has let you in on it. Make Verse 9, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, not meaning it began in Christ, but it was made known in Christ. Like it, it, it became more obvious. It was, it was a great mystery, but now it's, it's starting to be made known. 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, all things in Christ. What is Christ? What is, what is, he, what is his title in Matthew? Son of man, son of David. He is the king. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see what he's doing? I don't like this phrase, but this is what he's doing. He's bringing heaven down to earth. Not in like everything's purpose, perfect and glorious and we all have great times, as in his rule, his reign will be no different from heaven to earth. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The, the consummation of the mission of God is when there's no distinction between heaven and earth. A.K.A. the new heavens and the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth where the creatures... Rule or uh, uh, dwell with the Creator, which they don't do now. This is the mission, and that it's not just a nation, it's every tribe, tongue, peoples, and nation. It's John, John's language. For God so loved the world. See, we, we, we typically don't think of it in this sense, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But then the thing that he says right after that, I have come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So here's what I want to leave you. Here's how I want to leave you. This is how it ties back to our mission. The kingdom... The rule and reign of God comes into people. How? Unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you be born of the, of the, of the, of the spirit and water, you cannot enter in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes to us through the new birth. And then... We, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And the glory and the goodness and the kingdom is spreading through the Great Commission. The power of the gospel bringing people into the kingdom. That's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, into all the nations with the gospel. And so what you see is the kingdom invading the people which makes the church, the church is then, are you under the reign of Christ in the kingdom right now? Christian, are you? Yes. Absolutely. And so as we live, we go forth and the kingdom goes with us. The rule and the reign, the rule and reign of Christ goes with us. And John says, he's come for the world. 
the kingdom to the church. The church takes the kingdom into the world. That's what we're doing. That's what we should be doing. That's our purpose. That's our calling. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll look at the means. Like, think more about Jesus, the gospel, the body of Jesus, that being the church, and how the church is different from the kingdom. We, send, we, we tend to make them the same thing. They're not. They're connected, but they're not the same thing. Okay? So we'll, we'll look at that next week. Before I pray, any questions? Thoughts? What we're dealing with, if you are, if you want to know more about eschatology, that was eschatology, because what it is, it's the consummation of the kingdom. It's the it's the pro, it's the fulfilling of the kingdom of God upon this creation. That's that's the base. That's the basis of end things. The study of last things. But it's also the study of soteriology, which is the study of salvation, because they're one and the same, right? God, God's redemption through people is bringing about um, the work of the kingdom. Anyway.